Listening to Thoughtless Casual Gaming with Brett and Chase. This is the third episode in our Blood Bowl Breakdown series. That's a bit of a mouthful, Chase. Blood Bowl You're Breakdown. Welcome. Blood Bowl Breakdown. Blood Bowl Breakdown. She sells shit. No. Um, <laughs> we are moving on today. We thought we'd do the the next one. You guys seem to be having a bit of fun with these, so let's do some more. See if we can give you more of our nonsensical advice. But today we are going to be covering one of the two teams in the last edition of Blood Bowl, the Imperial Nobility. So, Jace, do you want to give us a bit of an intro on the Imperial Nobility? Yeah, because once again, this book's full of fluff, which is glorious. <laughs> um, but And also, you know, the, the conversation there around being one of the teams in the, the actual starter box that you get with, with all of that, it's probably one that a lot of people have got. Um, and a little bit interesting, but it is quite the norm that Blood Bowl teams are privately owned. But where the majority of teams are owned by proprietors and coaches who run their teams as professional outfits, there are plenty of other teams that exist for other reasons. Rich nobles, eager entrepreneurs, crime lords, which large sums of cash to hide from treasury men who ask bothersome questions. All these are more drawn to the sport. Some are lured by the presence of vast wealth and long to liberate it from its current owners and keep it safe within their existing fortunes. Others are eager fans to whom the idea of owning a famous Blood Bowl team is a fantasy they can afford to pursue. Some such fortunate fans take it a step further and build teams to live out their dreams of becoming famous players themselves. So this is what you're saying is this is the mob teams. It is the mob teams. It is the um, the Elon Musk team. It is... (laughs) It's the the Tesla of Blood Bowl. Yeah. (gasps) That. <laughs> so with Imperial Nobility, you have five options as far as your players are concerned. You can have up to 12 Imperial Retainer linemen. They cost 45,000 each, movement six, strength three, agility four plus, passing four plus, armor value eight plus with fend as their given skill. You can have 0 to 2 Imperial Throwers, 75,000 each. 6 Movement, 3 Strength, 3 plus Edge, 3 plus Passing, 9 plus Armor Value with Pass and Running Pass. 0 to 2 Noble Blitzers, 105,000 each. 7 Movement, 3 Strength, 3 plus Edge, 4 plus Passing, 9 plus Armor Value with both Block and Catch. 0 to 4 Bodyguards for 90,000 each, movement 6, strength 3, agility 3+, passing 5+, armor value 9+, with stand firm and wrestle, and 0 to 1, ogres, 140,000 each, movement 5, strength 5, agility 4+, passing 5+, armor value 10+, boner, bonehead, sorry, boner, (laughs) 
I'm reading I'm reading both at once. So both Bonehead and Loner four plus, which combined which becomes now, Boner. Yeah, we will now always refer to as Boner. <laughs> Mighty Blow plus one, thick skull, throw teammate. They have team rerolls at seventy thousand each. They are classified as tier two and they do have access to the apothecaries. So pros and cons, first thoughts. The one of the teams, so fundamentally, I went, I'm not going to build this team as a Blood Bowl team because I really want to use these models for more time. That, that's where my game went. And then, it's so the I'd feathers. Been, it really, it's glorious. It, it's, it's perfect. You give those guys some weapons and it's happy days. But, so I haven't really been looking at them. I know that they're kind of a spinoff of the old Bretonian team that of days gone past. Um but you started talking through that with the the stats, the the skills they've got, and it actually it, it is not a standard team by any stretch of the imagination. But I feel like that there is so much potential in all of those starting positions. There definitely is. I mean, I ran them in our last elevens league. And ha- actually had a lot more fun with them than I was expecting from the get-go. Uh, they they do have a bit of a, a wealth of skills and attributes. The movement minimum six on the humans just, is decent. As a, standard, as a starting point, just having movement six across the board, except for the ogre, um, that's good. Mm-hmm. Even the ogre's movement five, that's not bad for a big guy. Uh, but I mean the the lineman straight away with Fend. I mean that's that's pure Bretonian right there. Fend, it's one of those skills that can really change your opponent's plans in a heartbeat. So uh, look, I'm just comparing these guys to a straight up human lineman because that's kind of our our benchmark here, right? Mm-hmm. So it's five k cheaper. You lose a point of agility. And a point of armor, but you gain fend. I feel like the point of agility hurts. The armor, meh. Um, but I feel like I could hand off a point of agility for fend. They they start playing a very different role, and it makes it a little bit harder to use them as kind of backup ball carriers in the in, in a pinch. But that is forty five k. I feel like that is a reasonable. That's a reasonable loadout. It's a reasonable cost. I mean, you really probably, you want your lineman to have the ability to pick up the ball if you're desperate, but you have access to eight possible players with an agility three plus, which is still halfway decent. Your fending guys should be there kind of on the front line to, to screw up your opponent. The ability to stop your opponent following up on a block or a push is not to be understated. Especially when we start talking corn, werewolves, mm-hmm. witch elves, any of those frenzied pieces um, that kind of rely on that second block sometimes to, to get the job done. Um, Fend is just a straight up hard counter as yep. a starting point. Um and then the second half of that is 
you you start reducing your ability of, uh, of your opponent to do things like break cages because, um, mm. yes, you're getting pushed out, but they're not able to follow up and start um, removing tackle zones and things like that as well. Um, if you manage to get the ball on one of these guys as well, they get a push result, suddenly he's in the clear. They just they are legitimately one of those positions or one of those models that you put in the way and you know it's going to be annoying. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what else they do, they're going to frustrate. Can we – you mentioned cage. Like the other piece of the cage here is, is the bodyguards. Stand firm and wrestle. So stand firm, we talked about that in the last episode with necromantic. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those skills that just catches people off guard. Uh, wrestle, I mean, is is great for that ability to be able to ignore that both down and, you know, bring down people, get the ball loose, that sort of thing. Um, but if you're building a cage with these guys, a lot of the time you will be using the bodyguards and the linemen. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys, I mean, what you're looking to do in a lot of cases, if you're you're opposing a team with a cage with the ball in the middle, you want to be hitting one of those guys on the outskirt of the cage and pushing your way in to stand next to the ball carrier. That cannot happen with these guys. Fen stops your guy coming in and getting close to, to their thrower, catcher, whoever's got the ball. Stand firm just stops that completely. These these are great tools to be using defensively and office, offensively. Yeah. And just like we talked about Stam Firm being one of those ones that catches your opponent, Fend is another one. Mm-hmm. There's just this automatic assumption after you've played some Blood Bowl that you hit someone and you follow up or you've got the option to follow up when it suits. Um, and just removing that option, which is so ingrained into people's kind of playing style um it's just another little catch because uh, i don't know it's like fend it's not a common skill no it's not on a lot of characters if any i'm trying to remember but uh so you generally will only find it on that odd player that has taken fend as as an upgrade yeah and even then it's usually not the first upgrade you're giving to someone no so Fend right away is going to catch your opponents off guard. Stand firm, again, we talked about that. It's going to catch people off guard. Uh, being able to wrestle with your bodyguards is going to catch people off guard. These are all hard sort of counters to your general player play style. Yeah. It, yeah, there's like they seem off it's another human team. You're like, great. Well, I know how blood bowl plays. I know how humans play, how hard can it be? But there's just enough difference and there's just enough mix and interest that it just, as I said, it's not a straight up play style. I don't think it's a, uh, an easy team to necessarily get the most out of, but there's just a world of potential when you start looking at like they're expensive. Fundamentally, you're not going to get all your positions in your starting roster. Um, particularly if you want to go the ogre, but that's always the case with a big guy. I just, I really enjoy the 
as I said, the slightly left of center way sets you up. I mean, we kick on um, to the thrower as the next one. Um, he's kind of, you know, a, a reasonably integral piece. I feel like you're probably always going to take one just for the additional chance to pass, probably is the person who goes and grabs the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, running pass, which is one that you, again, don't see a lot. Um, I, I, I get, it's probably not going to get heaps of play all of the time, but it just opens up some more options. And I think if you're going to get the most out of him, like with only being, so he's a, a three pass pass. He's not a human thrower. Um, so you're going to stick to short passes. And I think that's where the running pass helps because you can then use him for something else as well. At the same time, not many throwers are human throwers. That two plus pass is not on an awful lot of characters, not on an awful lot of teams. You've got the human no. thrower, you've got the Skaven thrower. All of the elves. The two, all of the elves, but... Well, I mean, not dark elves. That's a lie. Because they they've got the runner as the position. Yeah, look, it's just you see thrower. I really want to see a good throw option. Yeah, no, you you probably make a reasonable a reasonable point there that a three plus pass is actually not a bad thing for the game. No, no, it's it's better than a lot of normal teams or normal players uh and it's it's decent for for a thrower i mean going back to to elves like i mean we're so used to the old style where they all went off their agility and they were all were two plus throwers uh, now with the elves you know, they're just two plus throwers the catches are four plus alignment are four plus blitzes are three plus so that um that three plus passing skill that the the throwers have here is, if not average, better than average. But I mean, the the guys for me on this team are the blitzers, which yeah, I feel like off the bat is maybe a misleading title. Yes, agreed. But they're, they're a bit of everything. So movement seven with catch. They are your catches in a lot of instances. I mean, agility is on a primary skill. So you have the option to go really you know, score heavy on them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, we start talking dodge sidestep as potential options, given that you show up with block. They're already on, on day one with the ball hard to put down. Yes. Add that movement seven, so they're they're speeding around the pitch a bit more than most players, and they can catch the ball a little bit easier with that catch skill. Yeah. Uh, and a nine-up armor for a catcher. Yeah. They're a bit of everything. They're not. I mean, I suppose the word blitzer originally was supposed to mean somebody that's sort of a bit of an all-round player. And but this is really what these guys are. They're they're a bit of a catcher. They're a bit of a scoring piece. They're also a hitter. Yeah, it's strength three and block. They they can do what you need them to do in a pinch. Yeah, I mean, you, you, as you say, with 
you've got someone with movement seven who can get to where you need to be if you need to play defensively and, and sort of do a defensive blitz. They've got um, the movement, the armor, block and catch sitting there that they can be a nice little um, you know recipient for your throw to, to chuck to and to run up field and actually score. I feel like with movement seven, they're probably your preferred options for that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then equally... We talked about caging before, and if you've got a situation where you have a cage made out of stand firm and fend pieces and a block piece with the ball in the middle of that. It's like everything I like at once. Yeah. There is just so much in that that is hard to break down. It's... It's Testing your tank, your opponent, we need, that's what it is. We really need to stop talking about this because I like it. <laughs> and look, I like I said, I've played them. They they are decent. I had a lot of fun with them and you know, they're, they're not the easiest team to beat. Add the fact they've got access to a big guy. So if punching things is your preferred way of playing Blood Bowl, you've got that ogre boner guy but yeah strength five mighty blow straight up standard big guy i suppose the only thing that you lose here is you've got a throw teammate piece without anyone to throw yes which is Um, redundant so so he's literally just additional hit which when your entire team is strength three is not a bad thing um especially when they don't have the same agility as an elf lineup i feel like you know throwing in a big guy in there is is not a terrible idea he's probably the piece i don't know that i would take off the bat Mm -hmm. um i mean i ran him and had fun with him but bonehead is one of those things so bonehead is always gonna bite you at some point absolutely and look realistically you run a big guy you have fun with the big guy that's just how it works um and, you know, there are many schools that are not necessarily incorrect that say if you have the option of a big guy, you take the big guy. Um, I completely get that as well. I'm just looking at all of the other skills I want to cram into this roster because there is so much goodness. Um, and I'm wondering whether I can get away with not having that strength five piece. You certainly can. I mean, there's there's options here with this team. Uh, are there any, any cons that instantly jump out to you i mean fundamentally you've got one block piece in the entire roster everything is expensive the base stats are not specialist enough at anything so you've got edge threes and fours you're not elves you've got a passer of three but the rest are not great your armor's good to be honest you know nines and tens across the board but you're paying for it um there's no dodge off the bat. You've only got one block piece. So you, it is a real kind of left of center team. You're not going to fit all your positions in. Um, and the ones that you do got uh, do take are going to be like, you have to remember Fend. You have to remember Stand Firm. You have to remember all of these things. So it is one of those things that you have to kind of be on your game about to play um and again i feel like tier two is probably pretty accurate if you can put the puzzle together and make it work and get the most out of all of those skills and positions i think it's happy days Mm -hmm. um 
when that doesn't quite come together, I feel like there's a good chance that they'll let you down. They're not out bashing a straight up bash team being everyone's strength three. Um, and you've got to rely on the skills, which means you need the dice rolls that matter. If you know you get straight up power, block doesn't help. Um, if you get it both down and someone has block, Fen does shit all. So dice kind of matter in this one as well. Yeah, look, we'll get back to the cost of the characters um, when we go through a couple of lineups, but the... I mean, the expensive cost of some of these, like the Blitz is 105k. It's kind of, it is kind of balanced out by the 45k for the the line. Oh, yeah. The, where it gets expensive for me is the re-rolls. So 70k oh, mm. for a re-roll is the high end. That was, that was the next, yeah, the next point is, and look, I feel like, it's probably appropriate. You're rocking up with a shit ton of skills. Yes. You shouldn't be, but you're also not getting those skills that you would normally use rerolls for, which are your dodge. Um, so there's, yeah, it's a high end, but also I really like the fact that you've got pretty good armor, pretty high cost positionals with a, a random assortment of skills and high rerolls in a team that is supposed to be just fundamentally expensive Look at the name of the team. It's the mob it just, team. It is so good. Like there's there's a whole talk about an underworld mob team here. This is I mean not underworld. That's a whole other team. But like a <laughs> oh, crime syndicate style. Oh, oh, now he's got ideas, and Chase with his converting ideas. Ooh, oh, I? this is this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> um. So tactics. I mean, caging with these guys, we've talked about that already. That's mm-hmm. that's definitely one one tactic. Your blitzes, again, they're going to be front and center for a lot of things. They can make a break with the ball with their movement. They can stand in the middle of a cage with block. Or if you just want to flat out need to get away, they're a good catching piece. Um, this is one of those teams where... You're not necessarily playing a lot to your strengths because your skills are all playing to your opponent's weaknesses. They're they're stopping your opponent more than they're assisting you. So that's the what the playstyle you've got to go with here. You've got to be thinking ahead, thinking about what your opponent's going to be doing, and making lining up your pieces accordingly. Which does mean that fundamentally, you need to know other teams you need to know what another team is going to try and do so you can kind of put your pieces in the right position to mess with them in the best possible way um which is potentially another con there you know that you probably need uh, to get the most out of them you need a fairly comprehensive understanding of the other teams out there luckily podcasts are putting out very handy breakdowns of all of the teams potentially um and, and so you know that's no longer a problem Look, I'm sure if you go searching on any of your preferred podcast sources, you will find a decent podcast that goes into about 30 minutes on each team. And if you let us know what that podcast is, that we would be much grateful because it's, yeah, 
bound to be better than this one. Yeah, I mean, low bar. So uh, <laughs> the other thing, the, the other thing we talked about caging and, and to bang on a little bit about that, I feel like there are very much two styles of cage sort of, um, there is more than that, but let's just, whoa. Um, the first one is your dwarf or your sort of shambling undead style of very slow, grindy cages where they're looking for low scores. They're looking to wear down a team and they are, you know, taking their time. They're happy to take the blocks um, and they're just grinding their way up. And you're looking for, you know, a, a one nil or a two one, maybe if you're really lucky. Um, but that's kind of the score that you're looking for. And then we talk about a team like this where, all of your positions are movement six and seven and what you can afford to do between the stand firm, the fend and the move seven block catcher piece effectively is a looser cage. So you don't mm -hmm. have to go right corner to corner and a bit more of a running cage where you can move decent squares up the pitch. They're not encroaching on you too much between the stand firm and the fend. Um, so you should still have gaps to move players around Um so you can still play a fairly quick scoring game with these guys, taking advantage of those things that go wrong, the, the follow-ups that they can't do, the, the pushes that they can't get, you know, that kind of stuff. So move six, and there's a few couple of teams that can do it, but a running cage, a looser running cage with these guys with a move seven piece that you can sprint out at the end to go for end zones means that you can score fairly quickly like these guys can do the blood ball equivalent of the mighty ducks flying v yeah just yeah you don't even need both sides if you have like a diagonal wall almost between your ball carrier and their pieces that can be quite effective the other one I really, really like with Stand Firm is the ability to hug the side of the pitch. Mm, yes. So all of a sudden you're not getting crowd surfed with those pieces. So you can play a really heavily to one side of the pitch, um, which potentially pulls your opponent out of position because they're probably setting up particularly defensively to cover the whole pitch because they don't know which way you're going to run. Um and, you know, secondly, it means that you don't actually need to fill out your whole cage um, because you can use the side of the pitch as one sort of half of your cage and then just put the other positions there, which gives you a lot more players to kind of spread out and tag and, and frustrate as well. Correct. Any more sort of tactics points you want to make before we move on to couple of token lineups look the only thing we probably haven't touched on too much and i haven't really used it too much so you know this is theoretic running pass on the thrower mm. so the whole concept that you could do a quick pass with him and then continue his movement i feel like given he's a pass through you probably want to stick to your quick passes anyway like you don't want to long bomb this guy too much if at all. Um, but it means that he, instead of your very traditional thrower piece where you go and pick up the ball, you lob it to someone and you probably just play defensive and hang around the back line just in case he can be uh, a pass and then 
tag a player or a pass and then an assist and then a pass and then a, because you don't mind if you've already offloaded the ball, you don't mind being in someone's tackle zone. No. And he's another armor nine piece that you can do that with. So I, I feel like that there's actually a fair amount of utility the danger of that, or not necessarily the danger. I mean, the reason you would normally activate him last is because a pass is one of those things that invariably fails and you likely need to reroll for and all that stuff, right? But if there is, maybe there's an extra block you can get out, but you didn't want to go the one dice, you want an assist. It's not essential. You're already marking a player, but it would be juicy. You can use this guy, pass, and then use him for the extra assist that you wanted, that wasn't make or break if you get it or not, but all of a sudden you've got the option to do that. So you're throwing another two dice. So you've got just an extra layer of utility, um, which well, again, glorious. Or you're just throwing him as, as part of the lineup in the V, sticking him next to somebody, making sure that they are stuck either hitting him and not say blitzing the ball carrier that you've just thrown to. Like definitely, definitely uses. Uh, as far as lineups go, I did some quick maths. With sevens, mm-hmm. you can get pretty much one of each if you want. You can get, um, you can even go the most expensive. You could go an ogre, a bodyguard, and two blitzers. Because those linemen are so cheap, you can fit that into the 600k. So, We've said before that they are expensive. I mean, when you're not looking at re-rolls because it's sevens, you've got 600k to spend. You can make this team out of whatever positionals you wanted. You know, the money is not an option in this and is not a hindrance in this case. As far as 11s go, starting off with a million, you've pretty much got two basic builds that you can do. And it comes down to the immortal question from Shakespeare's Hamlet, to ogre or not to ogre. If you decide to ogre, you've got four linemen, two throwers, two blitzers, two bodyguards, ogre, two re-rolls, one million. Uh, If you decide not to ogre, you can replace that ogre with two bodyguards. So three linemen, two throwers, two blitzers, four bodyguards, two re-rolls, both very, very solid lineups. The only other thing I would throw in that mix, just playing with ideas, and it is based on the fact that re-rolls are expensive um, and it's fundamentally an edge three team. So potentially three re-rolls is a juicy place to start. It might mean foregoing probably one of the bodyguards off the bat for an extra re-roll. Hmm. Um, you know, I haven't actually done that math properly, but if we change him for alignment, yeah, 990. So you could do three re-rolls if you just went for the three bodyguards, two blitzers and a thrower. Yep. Which is probably not a, not a terrible place either. It just depends how fast and loose you want to play on the re-roll front. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, re-rolls being 70K, this is one of those instances where, you know, especially if you've got two throwers, 
chucking leader on one of them on a, a regular skill up is is a very cheap way of getting an extra reroll. So I, I am all for the leader ability, the leader skill when you can get it easily. And with these guys with access to pass on a general skill, one skill maybe you're spending one skill to get leader as opposed to 70k to get another reroll is uh is not a bad option yeah yeah as solid options and it means that you max out your positions at start there's there's really i don't think there is actually a bad option in those three Hmm. i like it yeah i'm a fan of the I dislike that I like it. <laughs> I I like that you like it because that may involve some sort of nobility team from you in the future. The problem I have is I still want to use the models for Mordheim. So does that mean I need a second nobility team? Well, that's the thing. Some... I mean, yeah, they come with every copy of season two. Mm-hmm. I'm sure well, you there's can some, find a second-hand there's, copy out there. There'll be some quickly. floating around, um, and that's if I want to stick with those models. Again, if we start talking uh, the, the Teslas and the, the crime syndicates and you know the mob and you know all all of those things, I feel like there is a lot of potential. I like yeah, I like watching your brain tick. Hmm. Okay. So look, fundamentally, let's let's wrap this up before we talk too far. Not an easy team, not a straightforward team, not a vanilla team by any stretch of the imagination. I think probably tier two is the right place to put them in the hands of the right coach could do well. Um, you're still fundamentally dealing with average stats realistically you know they're not they're not shining beacons of light in any one of the stats a but weird that's, mix that's what they're supposed to be they're humans humans are always supposed to be the average absolutely but expensive average statted humans with a unorthodox set of skills it's going to take a little bit of playing to get the most out of them but that's kind of the appeal as well yeah hmm <laughs> we should just keep going we should we should organize these episodes so that we just talk about all the teams that you don't own yet you haven't built and see that how is, many i can get you to make that is not good but also we'd be very much restricting the teams that we need to <laughs> well, talk true. about well we do them uh, first anyway uh that's it on the knobs uh imperial nobility one of the season two teams a lot of fun to play. I will back that up myself. But thanks for listening. Give us a follow on Facebook, Spotify, Podbean, Twitch, Twidbean, all of the above. Appreciate your time. And we'll be back soon for another episode. Cheers, all. Laters. Can't you all.